Hello, hello, hello. Yoga Scoop. Welcome to the Yoga Scoop. We are back. We aren't sure if it's podcast five or six. We'll have to research that. We'll have to look into that. <laughs> We've got a team we can put on that. Uh, we'll get back to you next week, which might be six or might be seven. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but all will become clear. It's kind of like looking into the history of Ashtanga, you know. How many sequences were there? When did they come about? It's all very shadowy. So, I don't know. We're kind of building our own... Um, our own mythology here. So we had a great um, uh, start to the weekend on Friday night. We taught a workshop at the Yoga Project in Peoria, where we have been several times. Thank um, you, Cynthia, and students. Yes, it was it was great. We tried some, um, kind of combined some elements that we like to work with. Um, Kelly taught a lead, um, shortened version of primary series um, I talked about trying to kind of grow my mythology knowledge, so I talked a little bit about um, Kali, and then we did a really fun new curriculum um, about arm balancing and core strength um, that sort of leads into handstand pressing, so that was a lot of fun. So, so this week's, um, I don't know what we're going to call this week's podcast. Didn't you have a name for it? Anyway. I'm, I thought of a question that I'm going to surprise Evan, so it's um, Stump Evan. Yeah, I don't have any idea what we're going to be talking about. <laughs> um, but, but at first I thought um, you might want to tell one of the, the Kali stories that you told on oh, Friday night. yeah, or sure. Or something that you thought was interesting about. Um, and a different story, if you have a different one you want to tell. Yeah, sure. Um, so my take on... Um, gods and mythologies, this is, would not necessarily be specific to India, um, is that they serve a role in the culture. There's a couple ways to think about it, um, but I think they serve the role that maybe comic book heroes, superheroes serve um, in our culture now. That's sort of the closest thing we have, especially in a, um, in a multi-deity universe with, lot, with the gods have lots of different personalities and have kind of beef with one another and interact with one another, and there are good guys and bad guys, all of that. So, like superheroes, um, these gods and goddesses often have origin stories, and in most cases they have more than one origin story, and that's the case with Kali. So I, I told one story on Friday night, and the other one, which I didn't get to, is actually the most famous one, so the story is that um, the the story kind of always starts off this way, but the there was a particular demon who was um, sort of ravaging. It was a dark and scary. Yeah, night. it was a dark and stormy night. <laughs> was ravaging the earth, both the both the men and the gods, and no one could slay this demon whose name was Rakta Bija. Rakta means blood, and Bija means seed. You find Bija in the Yoga Sutra, for example, about um, uh, Nirbija Samadhi, for example. Um, so blood seed, and this demon could not be slain because every time he would be wounded and would bleed, each drop of blood that would land on the ground would sprout up a clone of him. So the more that, you f that they would fight him and wound him, the more there would be of him. So... Um, the, uh, one of the gods, um, Durva, I think, 
um, just became so angry and sort of leveled up about dealing with the situation and personified um, anger by birthing Kali right out of her forehead. So Kali is this um, just gruesome, terrifying, blue-black, four-armed um, god with teeth. Goddess. Goddess with teeth and wearing a, a skirt made of severed human arms and wearing a necklace strung with the heads of those she has killed. And so she just bursts out of the forehead and uh, starts taking care of the situation. Um, and the way that she did it was she just started devouring the demons whole so that no blood was spilled. And when she got to the original Raktabija, she, I think, um, uh, decapitated him and then drank all of his blood so that he could not produce any more demons and then kind of clapped her hands together and that was it. <laughs> cool. cool. <laughs> so, so the interesting part is always interpreting what that means. And another way, in addition to the superhero idea to think about these stories is that they sort of tap into a, um, a shared unconscious um, storehouse of archetypes. This is what Carl Jung's work was about, that um, humanity just has as part of our, our shared history. And so, as one yoga teacher told us, when you listen to one of these stories, you are everyone in the story, or a different facet of your personality can, is represented by everyone in the story. And you may find that you feel identified with one or the other, but in fact, all of the characters, all of the interactions are showing the full range of human experience, expression, potential, etc. And so, particularly in a um, polished, you know, yoga journal type um, yoga culture, it's in an in interesting to consider where Kali fits. Great. So, um, we we sort we tried to. Uh, tie Kali into the, um, the kind of attitude it takes to really tackle arm balancing and presses and the fearlessness and ferocity. ferocity. I'm so glad you used that word ferocity. So my question is, um, because I tend to feel like uh, ferocity alone isn't going to work out so well. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm telling the story of Kali. We're getting these fine folks at the yoga project all duped up to do some arm balancing. But how how can we, how as practitioners, can we um, balance the polarities of ferocity and like fluidity? Do you know what I mean? Because both are really essential when trying to do advanced postures. And I think we tend to fall into one polarity or the other. Anyway, so how can we be uh, fierce but also soft? And how can we do that when we're trying to like, do an arm balance? Yeah. Yeah, I think it, I mean, it makes me think of, um, of being able to identify 
where the boundaries or parameters that normally are set up when you're practicing come from. Um, I think, you know, I think a lot of the time, um, so I think what you're saying is how can we uh, practice enthusiastically with a lot of energy and almost like a fearlessness without just injuring Hurting ourselves, ourselves and popping yeah, yeah. joints all the time. Yeah. And I or think eventually running out of steam about it. Yeah. You know, because there's I feel like there's only so far that you can push and push and push and push mm-hmm. and battle and battle before you have to take a slightly different approach. Yes, there is only so far that you can push and I've been there and passed it. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but I think uh, um I think most of the time when injury comes from just unawareness, from unconsciousness, and I think that that's usually different than ferocity. I think most of the time you're, when you're injured, when injury comes from um, just ignoring something or just being distracted and doing something that you have been able to do in the past, or um, when I've injured myself, sometimes it's just like I'm so tired of this boundary that I keep running into. I think I'm just going to go ahead and go ahead and grab and push past it today, uh, which is like a um, just losing touch with the the present moment experience. I think the the ferocity component would could be hopefully uh, animated by the same sort of brightness and uh, investigation that turning up your introspective um, bandwidth is all about. So uh, kind of another example or something that happened today. I We're at the third session of the intro to Ashtanga and um, I planned it out so that it's been really achievable goals and you know like leaving them wanting more. And so they, a couple people mentioned to me over the last week, like, I'm ready to do more. I'm not really getting warm enough. Um, And then we added more, and it became abundantly clear why I had not gone that way to begin with. So I was giving them a pep talk about, you know, I use the Ashtanga's not your friend line, and you kind of have to, I'd go at it with a little bit of ferocity, and it it was a different tone than I had taken in the first two intro to Ashtangas. Um, and I was hoping, I was trying to express how that's, that's one element of the practice, um, and how you come to your mat every day, and you try your very best, but your best changes every day, and so the ferocity element is you come to your mat and try your best, but the fluidity element is understanding and realizing that your best changes from day to day. So that's yeah. kind of in the scope of practice. Um, but it also struck me when you started talking about that and the limited arm balances that we have this theme going on right now in our teaching or in, our, um, in the way that we're trying to talk about ourselves that leads to a lot of polarities. So playing with strength and grace, 
um, flexibility and mo- uh, mobility and stability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I, I just thought that was interesting, and it's interesting that those elements or polarities seem to be um, always present in an asana practice uh, if you're doing it well. Yeah, and they, they have the relationship of the figure and the background in like an optical illusion um, image you know, like the vase and the faces. Yeah. Where they are defined by one another, and it's and the trickiest thing is to be able to see both of them at the same time. Usually, when Dude. you <laughs> <laughs> usually when your brain just isn't really able to manage both of them at the same time because their boundaries create one another, and so it's really difficult to see them at the same time. But of course, that's what we're trying to eventually be able to do. And, uh, but usually you have to learn to do one and then kind of learn to do the other. And I think about the ferocity, all of these things, you know, our answer for every question about yoga is it depends. And I think even a quality like ferocity is best applied to a situation like arm balancing or strength rather than a flexibility situation. Uh, because, um... You just don't want to be fierce pushing into, pushing past boundaries in flexibility in general. That's just going to damage something. But with strength, often that's fatigue, and you actually have a lot more there than you think. I think I I read something, I'm sure I learned this on Facebook, so don't uh, quote (laughs) me on this, but um, it was something about, about a standard that one of the armed forces has, I can't remember what it is, Marines is what I want to say. But the the basic idea is that um, when you think you are totally cooked, when you think you are exhausted, you're actually at only about 40% of what you can do. And and that, yeah, and that that beyond there is a whole, um, not just one, but uh, a number of second, third wins for you if you go beyond. And that's kind of what I'm talking about with the... Um, the ferocity that you recognize the process of fatigue or of intimidation or whatever it is that's happening and you realize that that is its own process but it doesn't necessarily have to determine your behavior cool um so who who is who is Kali's polarity oh that's a good question um I don't know I mean her her um, her partner is uh, masculine counterpart. Yeah, is Shiva. Well, her 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 pair is uh, Shiva, and so this the the story. Maybe they're not organized in that way. Are they not organized in that way? Well, I don't think they're organized that way in in the stories necessarily. But I'm sure that there is some some kind of analysis that would tell you um, which. Which she is, uh, and of course, it's it's the Indian civilization is very old, so it's really intricate. Yeah. Um, but so part of the story that sort of speaks to that is, and and speaks to fer- ferocity, is um, so she. In the end of that story is she goes on this rampage, and I mean, I what I think of I think of Kali as sort of like our modern character would be the Hulk, like. <laughs> yeah. 
like her, she's overtaken by these strong emotions, and if she's directed in, in the right way, like at this demon, then she'll do some real good for humanity. But then after she kills him, then everybody's kind of like, how do we put this genie back in the bottle? What are we going to do? She's kind of just stomping around looking for the next one. And so um, Shiva then lies down in front of her, and as she's walking, she steps on him, and he's, you know, he's the he's the archetypal yogi, so he's just like totally zenned out, and she looks down and sort of sees his countenance and sees him there, and she comes out of her trance. And so most of the, a lot of the images of Kali are of her standing with one foot on Shiva underneath her. And there are multiple explanations for that, but that's the most common one and the one that I like the most. Um, so we've talked about that pairing in um, asana practice. What about in taking it off the mat? Like, I'm thinking about, and um, you can articulate this better, but I'm thinking about the, the polarity in the Yoga Sutras with um, regimented, determined practice and um, non-attachment. Non-attachment, acceptance. Acceptance. And so is that sort of similar? Yeah, I think that, I think those two like, could, could go you together. Take, could you take the idea of um, ferocity and fluidity and apply it to like a work situation? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the foundational pairing would be, um, would be, and this, this would be in the, in the Bhagavad Gita, which is all about duty. And then in a lot of modern meditation teachings as well is, uh, developing the skill to be able to work as hard as you want toward a particular aim while still allowing that um, the universe will do whatever it's going to do, meaning that you have the right to the work but not to the results. Mm. And that um, happens on a micro, macro, interpersonal, vocational, emotional, etc. level. That's happening all over the place. In, in some ways, it's a way of, um, of articulating the fact that we have limited influence on the right. things around us. Uh, and in, in a modern phrasing, that would be, um, actually, I wrote about this in Yoga Iowa last year, um, that you learn to manage the energetic, emotional content, weather patterns, whatever you want to call it, happening inside that then allows you to work hard on the outside because the when you the result that you don't get that you don't want happens on the outside the reason that it's painful is because of the inside stuff and so putting uh, energy into allowing whatever the currents are inside the disappointment etc to run its course without needing to really do anything about it and it doesn't stop you this is the skill right that enables you to then work hard on the outside and I think that is a an endless process. I don't think that there is an end state that one can arrive at where you're done with that. But I think it but it does become more and more kind of um Easy. joyous and uh fulfilling 
for the process itself. Zigging when you need to zig and zag when you need to zag. Okay, cool. Well, I'm happy with that, with that response. <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> so I think everybody should write in with some surprise questions for Kelly for next week. <laughs> and um, we'll pick the, the best one, quote unquote, best one. <laughs> Uh, and we'll spring surprise. one on her next week. Yeah, surprise, surprise. But, I mean, that was a softball because I love talking about that stuff. That's, um, I knew, I knew. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. Just fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and let's say, so okay, let's turn it back on you a little bit. Um, oh. So my question would be, give us an example of this polarity relationship as related to asana practice. Take us out of my conceptual um, cloud castle and give us something that we can experience in doing yoga poses. Okay. Um, well, well, it's there in just about everything that's hard or a bit past your normal or my normal, um, you know, range of motion or um, strength capacity. So let's say like pressing. Oh, let's say pressing. Um, handstand press. Handstand press. <laughs> uh, and I remember as I was learning the handstand press, I, I was like, so I'm working really hard on the school. It's not really in my wheelhouse, you know. Strength really wasn't my wheelhouse. Um, and I would say, you know, I'm like working so hard at it. And I would say, look, Evan, this is it, right? I'm doing it. And you'd be like, yeah. You just need to do it, a, like, a little bit harder. Um, and I would have, like, an initial <laughs> being crushed <laughs> or disappointed, you know, because I, I thought that I was working, like, I thought I was working as hard as I possibly could. But then, uh, so I just keep at it, and I keep at it, and I keep at it, and I keep telling myself when I get to the point where I feel like I'm doing or efforting as much as I can, then what if I try to effort a little bit more, like to try and see what's past that threshold. And then I get to the next level up and I'm like, oh, duh, I wasn't really, wasn't, wasn't quite trying mm -hmm. hard enough, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. But when you're, it's like when you're under it, you can't see it. Yeah. You just see the ceiling. You know, I think you used that analogy once before. When you're under it, you just see the, the ceiling. But when you're above it, you can see, like, the attic space. The space, yeah. The space. And um, so, like, the ferocity is to, to make the conscious choice that when you're at the ceiling, you just, like, wonder what's in the attic or if there's an attic. And being willing to continually over time push yourself to see what's up there but but still within the range of you know being safe and um being able to function in your day-to-day -day mm -hmm. life whether that's injury or fatigue or whatever you might foolishly do to yourself yeah yeah so that's my example yeah that's a good example yeah, yeah that that we're always uh testing what seem to be solid things that the mind is presenting to see if they actually are solid or not. So is this limit that you're experiencing actually the limit or is this a construct 
and that whether which whoever whichever one it is, the investigation is the interesting part. Or like another example, and this isn't asana, but like running a studio. You know, we 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 can do all of the things that you do when you run a studio. So you have classes and you um, sell yoga mats and whatever. But um, one thing that I like that we're doing lately is we're just testing the limits of what is also part of you know having a studio or being the teachers. It's having mm-hmm. podcasts and it's um, being leaders in the community and stuff like that. So being willing to test out or to move past what's most comfortable or what's most obvious and to feel out what other opportunities uh, there are. Yeah, right. Okay. Whoa, 25 minutes. I still haven't figured out if this is five or six, but... Or four or five, five or six? I, I, I think I it's know. five. The biggest request feedback we've been getting is about um, making the podcasts longer. So. Boom. So, yeah, here we go. <laughs> um, so a couple of things to wrap it up here. Um, one, um, I have created... Uh, if you enjoy this podcast and you would like to support it and to just generally support the work that we're doing, I've created a Patreon page. That's P A T E E. Say again. Start again. P A T R E O N dot com backslash the yoga scoop. I'll also put the link up um, with this post <laughs> that allows you to uh, to become a patron of this, which basically means you. Put in your information and you commit to contribute a dollar, five dollars, whatever, each time that we post one of these. So it allows you to decide how much this particular unit of one podcast is worth to you or enriching your life or whatever. And and we're going to keep making them one way or the other, but <laughs> we certainly would love your support. It helps, just makes everything easier and allows us to do exactly what Kelly was saying, which is push into other areas um, innovate and come up with new ways to be uh, leader to, to yeah to connect to with people, create content, and be leaders in the yoga community. We also have some um, some events coming up. Um, we have a Kelly's doing a jumpstart Ashtanga, which is a well. You tell us, Kelly, what is that? Oh, it's a it's a crash course in Ashtanga yoga. Um, is it a one one and a half hour? Workshop, I think so, yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to be working with, lately I've been working with Matthew Sweeney's uh, Level 1 Primary Series. I really like it. It's very approachable. Um, and I really value that he has taken the time to parcel Primary Series out. So we'll be working with um, Level 1, talking through all of the poses so that they're doable and people understand and try to give everybody a taste of self-practice. Um, and make them feel maybe a little bit more comfortable about attending a self-practice class. And that is happening on Saturday. Mm, I think it's Friday. Friday sorry, night. it's Friday night. Yeah, it's Friday night at six p.m. at at Soul Hot, Hot Yoga in Bettendorf. Uh, let's really see what cool else do we have. If you haven't been. It is. It's sweet. And we are starting. Um, let's see. We have a teacher summit coming up on January sixth. That's for all levels of teachers currently teaching or not to just sort of come continuing ed fellowship 
get some fresh ideas, connect with the community, network, etc. Um, that'll be on Saturday the 6th. Um, and more things coming after that. Iron Ashtangi. Carmen. Carmen Aguilar at C Yoga Lab mm -hmm. will be here on the 13th and 14th. So for all those events, check out our website, tapasyogashala.com, uh, and our Facebook page, which is at tapasyogashala on Facebook. <laughs> so uh, have a good week. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.